Well, 1990 was a tough year for me. And I was in seventh grade. So some of you are judging me right now, right? Some of you are like, wow, Pastor Mark is old. And some of you are like, you whippersnapper, right? I know, I'm kind of right in the middle probably. So uh, seventh grade was hard for me. I mean, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but seventh grade is hard for a lot of people. But I remember being in middle school in seventh grade, and I, I was overwhelmed. Like I was trying to fit in, and I didn't know where to. This, is a, this was a brand new school for me, a lot bigger than what I was used to. And I was kind of scared. I remember trying to find my place. You know, I joined the soccer team and I, I kind of fit in there. Uh, I made varsity as a seventh grader, which was great. And then the coach said, uh, Mark, I'm actually going to bump you to JV because you're just too small. You're going to get hurt. And I was like, uh, and uh, I was very small, okay? <laughs> I, uh, I, I tried basketball. The only year I ever tried that. Found out it's not a great sport when you're tiny. Decided to join the marching band where we rocked Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire. And I came from a Christian school where all we played was hymns, so that was different. <laughs> I even had a stint in the chess club, and you know what? I'm not even ashamed about that. But everywhere I went, you know, I, I tried to fit in. I tried to find my place, and I, I, I kind of felt like I didn't belong. And I guess that's probably not that different from most seventh graders. But in 1990, apparently I wasn't the only one um, trying to find my place in this world because Michael W. Smith came out, a, came out with a song that said that very thing. Right? <laughs> Some of you have never heard it, right? But it's the same today. Whether you're a seventh grader or you're an adult, you're trying to figure out, like, where do I fit? Where do I belong I want to be part of something bigger than myself. And, and what is my purpose? And what is God doing? And the world does offer some ways for us to belong. You know, some clubs and sports and fraternities and guilds and all of these things. And there's some real camaraderie that you can feel in those. No doubt about it. But what we'll see this morning is that none of those are quite like finding your place in the body of Christ. When you find your place in the body of Christ, God does something and helps us to think the right way about ourselves. So this is not going to be a pitch of, of trying to convince you how the church is cool and you should join the club. Because honestly, the church in some ways is a place for misfits. Now, if we follow a leader who was executed, then we could expect to, to experience discomfort and friction in this world. And some people out there are always going to look at us as misfits. But when we come together here, or you're with your small group together, you have a place where you belong. You belong because you share the greatest common denominator in all the world, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you come into this place, maybe a misfit out there, maybe not, but you belong here. Now, at this seventh grade misfit right here, I only really found the youth group to be the place that I belonged. There I felt safe. There I could be myself, which probably the youth leaders didn't exactly appreciate. But shameless plug, we have something here called Verge Student Ministries. And if you have a 6th through 12th grader, they should go to Verge. It is a place where they will feel welcomed and loved and cared for. Their motto is actually, you are wanted, you are welcome, you are loved. Uh, so if your kids aren't in it, there's a table out there. Go check it out. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12 with me. So take your Bible and we're back in Romans. 
find the book of Romans in the New Testament, fifth book, the New Testament, and then find the big number 12. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12. Now, Romans 12, 1 and 2 have been so challenging and so wonderful. I've loved digging into them. I think you probably have as well. Great verses. And this morning, I want you to see that those two verses that we've spent three weeks on actually are in the context of church family and community. It's not just an individualistic uh, admonition Paul's giving to the, to the church. No, this is in the context of a church family, a church body. And one of the best ways to not conform to the world and be transformed, verse 1 and 2, is by being part of the body. That's what Paul says here. How do we even know if we are submitting to Christ? How do we know if we are a living sacrifice and God is doing something through our life? Well, how do we interact with people around us? That says something about our dedication to, to Christ. Spiritual transformation doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens in community. So let's read together Romans chapter 12. And I'm going to start back in verse 1 just to remind us. And then we'll read through verse 6, the first part of verse 6, okay? So follow along. Here's what God's word says. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now we come to verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. This is one of three texts that Paul writes where he talks about the church like a body, and he uses this body illustration. More detail in the, the letter to the Corinthians and in Ephesians. But right here we have a passage that's right in sync with the others, talking about the church as a body. Now before we get into it, I want you to notice Paul's thread here of the mind. So in verse 1 and 2, we look back to verse 2, and what does he say? You need to be renewed in your mind transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you come into verse three and we have the word think four times. So he, he has a, it's a play on words and he's giving us this word think four times. Now, if you look at your English text, you'll see three thinks, right? And then you'll see the word sober judgment. That's actually a word which literally means sound thinking. So the word think is in that too. So we have this idea of thinking four times in verse three. And Paul is trying to help us not have worldly thinking. The, the world wants to conform us, right? It wants to put us into the mold and turn us into jello, as I talked about several weeks ago, the great jello conspiracy. But that's what the world wants to do. It wants to take our minds and make them think like the world. And Paul is saying, no, you need to have a different mindset. You need to view yourself differently than the rest of the world. Here's the thing, one of the ways to fight the worldly mindset is to be incorporated into a church body and to serve in the church. 
Something about that God uses to put our minds in the right place and to see ourselves accurately as he challenges us in this passage to do. So I want to see, first of all, this morning, no one is supreme. No one is supreme. We think about worldly thought processes, worldly thinking, and and often the world thinks that Me, I'm the most important person. The world revolves around me. Well, Paul says, verse three, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. So this passage isn't just about finding our place. It puts us in our place. It helps us realize, you know what? It's not all about me. Maybe I think of myself too highly, we have to keep the analogy straight here. Christ is the head, we are his body. We're not the head, we're his body. He's the head. That's important. Ephesians 4 talks about that. It says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So no single member here, no single member, body part, is supreme. Not pastors, not elders, not deacons, not worship leaders who are up here, not people who get up on this stage. If we ever start to think that it revolves around us or that we're the one in charge, we got to step back and we got to reorient ourselves because Paul's saying, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Now, it's true that some people have more prominence than others in the church. And there is such a thing as church authority. But he's saying, be careful. If you think that you're the one holding this together, that it's the pastor or it's the elders or it's that great worship team, or we're not the ones holding this together. It's Jesus Christ that's holding all of this together. Jesus is central, not us. He's the unifying factor, not any of us. I love thinking about this, okay? Some of us in this room would never hang out anywhere else if it wasn't for church, right? Like you, you think about the d- diversity in the body, right? The different kinds of, we got people who are motorheads who like soup up race cars. And then we got like financial planners. We got people who love to read. And I've talked to some of you, they're like, I don't read except the Bible and that's hard work. Like we got different, we, believe it or not, we even have Republicans and Democrats in this room, Okay. We have diversity, and the thing about it is, in what other world would we hang out and actually have fun? I don't think so. Not the diversity that we have here, but what is the central unifying factor? Jesus Christ. So because of Jesus, the church is this beautiful and wacky menagerie. I love it. I love the fact that God brings us all together, and we can stand here together, and we can sing. Why? Not because we have everything in common. Some of you do, yes but because we have one thing in common, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ unifies us. I love the fact that Jesus is the center of Bethel Church, that we say it's all about him because that's why we're here. We're here not because of any one of us. So we gotta keep this in mind. We gotta be careful that we don't get too big for our britches, whatever ministry that you're a part of. And one of the points that Paul's making here is we are all gifted in some area. There is some area that you are gifted in. All gifts, he says, are gifts of 
grace. Did you notice the theme of grace in this text? So look at verse 3 and Paul, Paul says, you know, I've been given grace as an apostle. The only reason I'm able to talk to you or, or write this letter to you is because of the grace of God. He has, he has changed me. I mean, remember, Paul was Saul. He was against Christians. He was killing Christians. And, and now he is writing a letter. How? The grace of God. Verse 6 uh, tells us this. It says, we have gifts. That word gifts actually literally means grace gifts. It's in the word, grace gifts. So it says we have grace gifts according to the grace that's given to us by God. Paul's saying grace, grace, grace. All of this is by grace. The fact that you've been given any kind of gift is a grace. And isn't this uh, book of Romans all about grace, right? I mean, the fact that God saved us, not because of our merit, not because of our performance. No, because of the grace of God. That's why we are Christians. And that grace paradigm doesn't stop when we become Christians. It's still by grace. In Paul's word, this word grace was used all over society. And it, it meant a ruler shows benevolence to somebody who's lesser than them. Unmerited favor. They don't have to show a favor. They don't have to extend whatever they extend. It's unmerited. It's from a superior to an inferior. And here we have God gracing us with gifts. God doesn't owe you the gifts that you have. He could do it a different way, but he is because of his loving kindness and his joy giving you the gifts that you have. One of the things that uh, consistently surprises me is how sneaky Satan can be. How he can tempt you with pride even when you're doing something humble or something service-oriented. You'd think that, you know, preparing a sermon and delivering it, oh, you couldn't battle with pride with that, right? It's such a godly thing. No, you do. Or praying in public or leading worship or even behind the scenes stuff sometimes. We think people really should know all the things I do. Satan loves to attack us in a very sneaky way. And all of a sudden now pride is in the church. We as leaders can deal with this. Sometimes... The church isn't any different than the workplace where this, this pride comes to the surface. Now, the Roman society, they, they placed a very high value on honor and status. And Paul's saying it should be different in the church. It's not about honor. It's not about status. Actually, it is about honor. In, in verse 10, he says you're supposed to bestow honor on one another, not yourself. So it's a different place. The church is meant to be different, Paul says. Pride shouldn't have its place here, but if we're not careful, we think of ourselves too highly. And this is really critical to hear this morning. You are an important member of the body of Christ, but you are only one member. And that goes for every one of us. We're just one member among many. God has incorporated you into the body. You are important. You are valuable. You are unique, but you're just one member. This doesn't revolve around you. It doesn't revolve around me. So we've been given grace. We should not be boasting about anything. I mean, this whole thing is about what God's done for us, not what we do for him, right? I mean, that's the gospel, what God has done for us, not what we do for him. So because we've, we've received grace, we shouldn't boast. But on the other hand, because we have received grace and you have been given gifts by Jesus Christ, no one should discount themselves. No one should denigrate themselves and think, oh, I have nothing to offer so no one is supreme, but on the other hand, no one is superfluous. No one's extra. No one is not needed. 
No one is expendable. Verse 3 says, each member according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Many members, one church. Now thinking about ourselves with sober judgment, as the word says, or serious thinking or self-controlled thinking, it does not mean we swing the pendulum to the other side and discount ourselves. I'm irrelevant. I don't really have the gifts that those people have. So that's not thinking of yourself with sober judgment, as Paul says. That's thinking too lowly of yourself. And here's where we see the, the worldly philosophy. Not only does the world sometimes tell you it's about you and, and, and everything's customized for you, but the world also sometimes tells us that we're insignificant. Like there are people who would have you to believe that we are a random collection of chemicals floating through the world, that there is no real purpose in life. And they, they actually want us to find our meaning in our insignificance. I read a quote by a guy named Dan Barker who is a famous ex-evangelical preacher turned atheist activist, and he said this, there is no purpose to life and we should not want there to be purpose to life because if there was, that would cheapen life. Now, this is the inevitable philosophical destination of those who believe in a universe with no God. And that's where you end up, right? There's a beauty in the senselessness is what they say. Now, Dan Barker might find beauty in it or at least convince himself that there's beauty in it. But I, for one, am very uncompelled and unsatisfied with that. Because deep in our bones, we feel this sense that I do have a purpose. Like, I'm, I got to be here for some reason. And I got to have a place that I belong. I don't know what it is, but we feel that real deep. And it's not an accident that you're in this church this morning, hearing this sermon. You are designed by God to be a part of the body. And that's what he is telling us through Paul's words. Now, you might not have found a ministry yet. You're still kind of figuring it out, or maybe you just started to come to Bethel or what have you. But, but I promise you, he has, by his grace, gifted you with some gift to use. You are not an expendable part of the church. If you don't come, it matters. If you're not here participating, it matters. There's a belief by evolutionary scientists that the human body has parts which they call vestigial, right? And they point to the appendix, the tailbone, wisdom teeth. They say, well, it used to serve a purpose and, you know, over the years through evolution, we no longer need those parts. Now, I don't believe that. I believe that God designed us and that God has some reason, even if I never find out the reason until I go to heaven. I believe that we are purposefully designed by God. But I can tell you this, in Romans 12, Paul is saying, there are no vestigial body parts in the body of Christ. You're not an appendix. You're not a wisdom teeth. Just get rid of them, right? That's not the way it works. Paul says every member has a function. It, it, they're different and they work together, but no body part is extraneous. No one is superfluous. So we've all been empowered by grace. You, brother or sister, have a particular calling. And at the point of salvation, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit gave you some gift. Often I have people ask me this question. They say, well, are spiritual gifts like natural abilities or are they special things that God gives at the point of salvation? And I usually say both. I think they're both because I think oftentimes God takes natural abilities and he, he, he plays off those. But the Bible says that the Holy Spirit gifts you in a special way when you're a Christian. So it's not just a natural ability. 
It's something that the Holy Spirit has infused with power, that you're able to, to serve the body in a unique way. And they, are not always, they don't always coincide, but many times God uses your natural personality, your natural abilities in a way to, to gift you with the Spirit in a specific way. Now, I want to consider verse 3. It talks about faith, right? It talks about faith, the measure of faith. And I think you need faith here. I think you need faith because I'm asking you to believe that you have gifts. And for some of you, you're not, you're not convinced. You're not like, yeah, okay, what are they? Well, by faith, we need to believe that God has given us those gifts. Now, again, don't know what they are yet, maybe. But what I'm asking you to do this morning is to pursue the discovery of them. To just start down the process of saying, let me, God, let me find out what my gifts are. At least pursue what he has for you. I want you to consider this verse from Romans 8 that we looked at a while back. Uh, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. And Romans 8.32 says this. He who did not spare his own son, that's God, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now, I'm convinced that Romans 8.32 is in Paul's mind as he's writing these verses. Because I don't know all that God's going to graciously give me, but I know according to Romans 12 that he has, if I'm a believer, graciously, by grace, given me spiritual gifts. And if he gave me Jesus Christ, he gave me gifts. So believer, if you're, if you're not convinced this morning, consider Romans 8.32. God gave you Jesus. Guess what that means? That means he also will graciously give you all good things. And one of those, at least one, is spiritual gifts. Now, today we're going to have something special after the service and I'm going to dismiss in a little different way. We won't have a closing song, but I'm going to send you off. We have a, a little mini ministry fair. So we have about five tables set up over like on your way to the children's ministry. And I know that you can make it out of the building without going by them. I know that you can physically. I'm asking you, just go over and talk to people because there are five of our ministries that, that need volunteers. Now, we have others, plenty of others. In fact, we have a, a sheet uh, there are probably a couple at the tables, but then also at the welcome desk, we have a stack of them. At the very least, grab one of those because that has a, like a plethora of ministries on there that you could help out with. And if you're wondering, like, I don't know, where could I help? Just take a look at that. Some of them are at this campus. Some are at other campuses. Some are in our community. But I'm going to ask you to just put this into practice in a little bit by going and having conversations and figuring out, hmm, where could I serve? There's even an other blank on that form, okay? So if you have something that you're passionate about or something that you really want to help with, write on the other what it is that you want to serve with. Especially if it's in the community, I definitely want to hear about it. Write it down on that other blank. One I want to highlight, though, and they're all valuable, but one that I want to highlight is Jane Ball and our Kids Hope program. Now, Debbie shared on the video, she did very well, didn't she? And she articulated why it's important to serve as a mentor with Jane Ball. But I just want to let you know that we started this about three years ago and we have significantly less mentors than when we began. Started with excitement, it was great, and then, you know, through time, people's works, kids moving on out of the school, that kind of thing, we have a lot less mentors. And I would love to see the, that, that number of mentors come back up. I know that it doesn't work for everyone's schedule because it's like during the school day. Perhaps you have a flexible job, they let you take a lunch and go somewhere else, or perhaps you have a different strange shift that you work, or whatever, but I want to encourage you to consider Kids Hope. I've been doing it, this is my third year, and, uh, and I'll be honest, I don't always want to go, okay? Uh, my, my mentee is sometimes great and sometimes a demoniac, but I love him, okay? And I love what God has been doing in the relationship where I am starting to get to know him in a deeper way, and he's trusting me, and 
He's, we've even seen an improvement in his, in his schooling and all that stuff. So it's just a wonderful way. Jane Ball has given us such an open door right now to come in, to sit with kids, to mentor them. Would you consider uh, uh, helping out with Kids Hope? The table's right out by the bathrooms, and you'll see my wife there after the service. Well, wherever God prompts your heart, whatever he's calling you to do, it may not be that, it might be something else. I'm asking you to step out on faith, to have the faith that God has gifted you, and to try something. Here's a secret found in Romans 12, and that is this. One of the ways to accurately think of yourself is by getting involved in the body and actually serving. Because as you do that, you start to see yourself in a healthier way. Like, I do have gifts. I'm not good at that. (laughs) I've learned that. And it helps orient you. It helps you uh, guard from pride. Some people think, well, if I just... I have a gift, but if I just bury it, if I don't do anything with it, then there's no way that I could be puffed up with pride, right? No, I'd actually say that's not true. We are to use our gifts that God has given us. It helps us have a realistic view of ourselves. You're still thinking with pride when you're saying, yeah, body doesn't need me, I'm gonna do my own thing. That's still pride. Some people think that the antidote to pride is never thinking of themselves at all. I think this is a bit of a misunderstanding because in fact, you gotta be self-aware to some degree to have a healthy view of yourself. If you never think about yourself and how you might fit and you never give any thought to your, in, you know, your life and who you are and your personality and how God's wired you, you're gonna have a skewed view of yourself. Many times you're probably gonna think you are better than you actually are. So you th- sit there and think, I could, I could do worship better than that. I could preach better, this sermon better than this. Well, until you actually get involved in the body and try things, <laughs> you're always the best at it. Or, on the other hand, you might sit there and think, I have nothing to offer. Until you start to serve, and then when God knows that when we serve, we actually discover our place. We learn what we're good at, what we're not good at. I'll just share vulnerably here, coming to Bethel has been a very good thing for me to determine where I'm gifted, where I'm not. I felt like in the other churches I was at, um, Whatever I did, it was like, that was awesome. And I'm like, well, everything can't be awesome, you know? <laughs> like, I need a little realistic feedback. I need some help. And I think, I think coming here has been good because I've learned, okay, I mean, I'm gifted in these areas. I can, I can improve in these areas. And yeah, there's a natural gift God's given me, and now I can fan that into flame, as Paul told Timothy. And here are some areas where I'm not as good, and I need to surround myself with people who are very good at those things. It's been a great opportunity, and I would challenge you, if you want to get a realistic view of yourself, as Paul says, a sober-minded view, get involved in the body. We, we actually have sometimes, I think, this temptation to imitate other people's gifts. Oh, I wish I could do that. And we try to do something that other people are doing instead of just saying, God, here I am. I'm a living sacrifice. You show me what you want me to do uniquely because I am a part of the body of Christ. I have a unique contribution. Having said that, I think sometimes we can overanalyze this and we're not looking for the actual perfect customized fit. I haven't found a ministry yet that's perfect for me, you know? It's kind of like it's the equivalent of never getting a job because you can't find the perfect job. So you're 35 and you're in your parents' house in the basement eating Cheetos and playing video games and philosophizing about life but not actually working. And in the body of Christ, this can happen, right? Because we... We haven't found the ministry. That, I'm not called to that. I'm not called to that. Sometimes it's just going out and trying something. Oh, they need help with VBS? I can do that. Or they need help with that? I can try that. Getting involved and doing something. Now, one of the things I wanted to say is I have been highly encouraged by this campus 
and how many of you are rolling up your sleeves and getting involved. In no way today did I want to shame you because we have some real servants. We have people that are engaged like crazy. Uh, we have serving lists where people are willing to get emails and help when needed. We have people checking on our widows. Recently, at two occasions, I showed up at the hospital to visit somebody, and I was either the second, third, or fourth person that had come from our church. And I was like, wow, <laughs> that is awesome. That makes a pastor's heart so happy to see the body of Christ doing what they do and not expecting the pastor to do it for everyone. We have a healthy church in that regard, but there are still some of you who aren't sure where to serve and haven't got involved. And for that, I just want to say, try something. You don't want to wake up someday, spiritually speaking, and realize you're that 35-year-old eating Cheetos playing video games in the church. Right? I've never really done anything because I, I, I don't think I have anything to offer. No, try something. Find out what you have a passion for. Maybe you learn real quick it's not children's ministry. Okay, well, you tried and you served and you really helped the body in that time. And you moved to something different. We want to find what God has fitted for us for and then commit to that for the good of the body of Christ. So no one is supreme, no one is superfluous, and lastly, no one is solo. No one is by themselves. No one's an island. Here's what the text says. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. Notice this phrase, and individually members one of another. Members one of another, not just members of the body of Christ, that is true. Members one of another. We are not just a body part, we are part of the body. Incorporated into the body. You know, earlier I talked about uh, how pride creeps into the church. We want recognition sometimes. And you may say, Pastor, that's not my problem. Like the last thing I want to do is be up on that stage. The less people I talk to on a Sunday, the better. Like I'm just here for Jesus and myself. And I want you to see this morning that that is, in a sense, also thinking of yourself as central. That's you coming in for what you can get, a customized religion, and, and not actually doing the hard work of getting involved in the body. That's actually not going to help you understand your place. We're called to unity, the text says, and to this one anothering, this one anothering where we help one another out. You know, I mentioned a few weeks back about the spirit of the age, how this world is all about an individualistic society. So like a world curated for me, customized music, customized shopping, customized everything. And unfortunately, sometimes we come into the body and we approach it that way. We approach church in that way. Imagine what it would be like if a body part did whatever they wanted to do. I, I learned this past week that there is something called alien hand syndrome. Never heard of that before. And apparently it can be not just your hand, but a body part that's, that's kind of operating independently, like your brain isn't telling it to do something. It's just kind of seeming to do it on its own. It's, I think it's pretty rare. But imagine if a body part just did whatever it wanted to do. And think with me hypothetically this morning that your foot was able to, to detach itself and run away. Not helpful. Whole new definition of footloose right there. But the, the idea of your foot doing whatever it wants to do, that's not incorporated into the body. And you're not just a body part, you're part of the body. You have a, a role and it, it only works when you're connected. I love how the message uh, phrases this. And uh, I'm going to read this for you. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as part of the body. But as a chopped off finger or cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, 
Let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. I love the way that he says that. I mean, there, a lot of those words aren't in the original language, but that's the idea is you can't just do whatever you want to do. You're part of the body. We could illustrate it this way. If you, let's say you're the thumb, okay, in the hand. You're, that's your, you're that body part. A thumb could go two different directions. A thumb could look at the other fingers who are all close together, start to get a little envious. You know, I'm over here by myself, guys. I don't, I'm not as long as the fingers. Um, I don't get to wear a ring. I tried my wedding ring on my thumb. It definitely does not work. Not even close, okay? And there could be an envy that's happening in a certain body part. Or there could be the reverse. You could be thinking, I'm better than them. You know, I'm, I'm thicker than them. I, you know, it, without me, you can't grip. Without me, how are you going to tell people good job, you know? And, and, and they might, you might think of yourself too highly. It's only when the thumb is doing what the thumb is supposed to do, and not thinking of itself, but thinking of the overall calling, that it functions how it's supposed to and how it truly is a thumb. That's us. We're all connected. God has called us to a deep unity where we work together. And I like in this, in this scripture how we see unity in diversity, and all through Romans we do, but unity in diversity, verse 4 and verse 5, we have this idea of many yet one. Many members, yet one body. 1 Corinthians 12 speaks about this. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So many, yet one. That's who we are. Working together. There is this phrase here, one of another. Did you see that? This is interesting to me as well. This phrase, one of another, that I read in verse five. Members, one of another. That phrase is the word alelon, which is the one another you see all throughout the epistles. As Paul writes, and he says, exhort one another, encourage one another, you know, provide for one another, love one another. All of those things, that's alelon. That's the same thing here. He says, you're members one of another, so one another each other. We should always be looking for opportunities to one another, and that's part of serving in the body of Christ. And here's the thing, we find freedom in serving others. We find freedom in finding our place where God has gifted us to know, okay, maybe I'm not that person. Maybe I'm not as important as other people, but I'm important. This is my job. This is what God's given me to do. And in that, we find freedom. Trying to be something we're not does not provide freedom. And bearing our talents and doing nothing is not freedom. Finding your place. And so we, we come full circle here. We're not supreme we're called to give and to serve and make the point that Jesus is supreme, that he's the one that this is all about. So in the body of Christ, we not only want to find our place, we want to show a world that Jesus has first place. 